0: Live in the entertainment capital of the world. It's the
1: T.C. Martin Show. It's been
2: a great third down defense the last two weeks for and They've got an and a run back all the way home. It's Belin with the touchdown, on the pick six.
0: It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin.
2: Mahomes drifting downfield
3: season, Jeff Heath comes away with it, and Heath could go, tripped up by Mahomes inside the five.
0: The
1: doctor is now in. Happy Thursday to you, T.C. Martin with you. A lot of football on the table today. We will talk to Scott Spritzer. We start handicapping week 13 of the NFL, plus we got conference championship weekend that's right looking forward to that sec championship the big 10 the american with cincinnati a lot more happening this weekend as well too and of course we've got the raiders and washington coming your way sunday at allegiant stadium and the pac-12 championship game coming your way friday That'll be happening about an hour after we are done at the Cosmopolitan, making our way over to Allegiant Stadium. It is Oregon. It is Utah. The rematch of a couple weeks ago. Looking forward to that. We'll be out there at Allegiant Stadium as the Ducks and the Utes. Not any playoff implications, but definitely big-time bowl implications and, of course, a Pac-12 championship. So looking forward to that as the Pac-12 now is officially moved to Las Vegas on the football side at Allegiant Stadium, joining uh, the basketball side. You know, the Pac-12, I think we talked about this um uh, last week that uh they're moving their offices here as well too so we'll look forward to that the las vegas Bowl is upon us really looking forward to that and joining us today the executive director john sasente great friend love having john on especially this time of year when we get to conference championship weekend with college football the bowl games um you know Right upon us. And then Sunday will be the final unveiling for the college football playoff rankings. We touched with our good friend Trevor Maddich from ESPN about that yesterday. And uh, we'll talk to John Sassini about that. And take a look at the Las Vegas Bowl. Their new home, Allegiant Stadium, this season. Gotta love that. Las Vegas Bowl is a staple here in our city. 29 years The very first Las Vegas Bowl, 1992. Huge moment for this bowl game. And uh, it will be on the biggest stage ever at Allegiant Stadium. It was nice when it was at Sam Boyd Stadium. And John Zasenti will be the first to take. And he said it on this show many, many times. Like, man, we we love Sam Boyd Stadium. It was great for us, you know, way back when. But they definitely outgrew it. And uh, good riddance to, to Sam Boyd Stadium for for football of that magnitude. So we look forward to uh, talking to Johnson Sunday. He'll be uh, joining us at the top of next hour. And then also T.J. Reeves will join us. Our good friend with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. On the broadcast side, the Bucs starting to play some good football. So we'll talk about their comfort behind victory last Sunday against the Indianapolis Colts. And then, of course, uh, they play the Atlanta Falcons this week. So uh, Tom Brady time, right? We know how that is. Calendar flips to December. Get ready for January and maybe even February again for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So T.J. Reeves will join us. Scott Spritzer will join us. As Like I said, we start handicapping week 13 in the NFL and also the college uh, bowl game. So uh, love handicapping that uh, as well. Don't forget tomorrow back at the Cosmopolitan, our Friday home, uh, 2 to 4 p.m. tomorrow. So we look forward to uh, that. Uh, plus, again, Mike Pritchard will join us tomorrow. Love talking with Pritch get his uh, thoughts and insight, and everything, of course, our best bet segment, and a whole lot more uh, before we dive into uh the show today and we start talking about football uh, again, I want to thank everyone who participated in our show yesterday, our tribute to ballpark Frank Harnish, and of course, uh, again, you know Frank people know here in Las Vegas how much he means to the Radio landscape here, and uh i I was honored to to put that show together yesterday uh for our fallen friend who passed away last weekend uh, due to cancer and as we know you know frank's you know been a great friend for the better part of the last five years with myself. A lot of other people have known him a lot longer than I have, and uh, I appreciate everybody who came on the show yesterday uh and and we did our tribute. Uh, you can go to the website and hear the three o'clock hour. It's up on the homepage at tcmartinshow.com. dot com. And if you missed the show live yesterday, uh, please listen because it's not just the thoughts and the memories from people about Frank, but we were able to find some great sound bites and some audio clips. You know, during the last you know year and a half that Frank has been on this show with me, and uh, some great moments. Some great funny moments as well, too. So again, I appreciate everyone that participated yesterday, former colleagues, friends, and most importantly, our listeners. Uh, Your response has been tremendous. I appreciate everyone listening, uh, commenting, whether it was via Twitter, Facebook, social media, calling the show, or messaging me personally. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. And like I said yesterday, we couldn't get to everybody because a lot of people wanted to chime in and give their thoughts. So, we are going to continue that today during this segment right now and hear from uh from a few more pl- uh people who were very close to Frank um, over the years as well too. So again, I want to thank everyone. I appreciate the love uh, a lot of of hard work and love went into putting that show together yesterday and I got to uh give kudos to my right-hand man here Numchuck uh, for the countless tireless hours that you spent my friend and i know you just got a chance to know frank basically through me and this show but i know the bond that you guys had as well too so thank you very much for for working the tireless hours and helping uh, you know put that show together uh, yesterday and again listen to it if you can uh that's going to be up uh along with you know my words that I put it there on the website uh, with the article as well too. I going to be up there all weekend, so you get a chance to do that. And we strongly encourage everyone to read and listen um, to that three o'clock hour yesterday, and also the entire show. Uh, you know, the first hour we had Brian Blessing and Chris Wynn and Ken Thompson on, giving their thoughts as well too. Trevor Maddich, uh, but then the whole three o'clock hour was all about the phone calls and the sound bites that we got a chance to play yesterday with our good friend. Ballpark Frank, may he rest in peace. So, at this point in time, um, open some phone lines, 221-7283. You have some thoughts that you'd like to say and talk about uh, with Ballpark Frank. Uh, We'd love to hear from you uh, as, as well, too. And again, um, just hearing from a lot of former colleagues, cohorts, and uh and friends to share some frank stories. Uh, let's start with uh, a guy that I've known for a long, long time, going back to my my first stint here, going back to the 90s. And this guy, uh, he, he's outlasted me and everybody else. I mean, this guy has been in Vegas a long, long time, and he appears with Brian Blessing on his show uh, quite often, uh, a regular, and again, a regular staple as far as handicappers and, and radio guys here in Vegas, Andy Ishko. Andy, I appreciate you joining us today, my friend. How you doing? doing doing fine tc
3: and yes i gosh i think i remember first meeting you back at kveg studios (laughs) in the early 1990s there on uh, Pecos and in, yes. in this part of town. Uh, so that's, that's a long time ago. Not the longest one out here, but uh, aren't that many uh, in the radio? Uh, well, actually, radio does have a lot of people who have been here. In fact, one of the guys I was going to talk about has been here even longer than I have, and that's Seed Williams. Yeah. And I think you and I were talking uh, earlier today, and uh, I think you mentioned that a listener called in yesterday to bring it up but didn't get on the air, and I just mentioned it uh, without even knowing about uh, that story. Uh, I went back and found out it was in 2003. Seat Williams and Ballpark Frank had a boxing match over at the Orleans Arena. I think it was in July of 2003. I don't remember what started, uh, what led into, what incident led, or discussion led into the boxing match, but I remember it received a lot of hype leading into the match. I don't recall who won. I did go back and check my pictures, and I did see Ballpark at the end with his both of his arms raised over his head now i don't know if that meant he won or if he was just exhausted and was about to say no mas but uh, he looked uh, uh, very much as far as a, as a champion fighter
1: so more importantly andy do you remember what the line was that night now was ballpark frank the favorite overseat?
3: You know, I don't remember. I think the informal line did have seat the uh, uh, the slight favorite uh, being in a little, let's be kind and say, a little bit better uh, condition at the time.
1: There you go. Now, with that, at that point in time, Let's see, because, again, I was gone. I was here 92 to, to 99, and then I came back You know, in 2015. At that point in time, you know, when I came back, I saw both those guys again. And as you know, we used to do the Stardust line, you and I, myself, with Seat and Dave Koken, Scott Spritzer, all those guys, and would have a great time. But I, I bet during that point in time that you're describing, Andy, I think both of those guys would be in the super heavyweight division, don't you think? I would say it would be
3: close. Yeah. <laughs>
1: we'll, we'll say uh, I,
3: I, I, it's hard to say light heavyweight because right. the word light doesn't really come to mind. So uh, maybe maybe welterweight because I think a lot of people, uh, including myself, can't figure out what welter means.
1: Right, thank you. You know what? That that's great. And uh, a listener did call yesterday. I want to talk about that. And it's funny. I don't think you know Frank and I ever talked about that. But I, you know, maybe listeners or some of our um, our other longtime uh you know guests who've been around here maybe they can uh, you know recall that but uh, great memory with that day Andy uh real quick some thoughts about Frank I know you've known him a long time um give me your thoughts
3: As I recall, I got introduced to Frank through uh, uh, Larry Grossman, who did radio here in Las Vegas for a long time. You can bet on it, I think, was one of the... That and the Stardust line were probably some of the earliest long-running sports betting shows on radio, so uh, back in the early 1990s, and uh, he, uh, Larry, uh, Frank, and I would occasionally get together a couple times a year, maybe to have some lunch together or a dinner or something, and uh, Frank was very well-versed in a lot of different subjects. We always had a lot of fun, whether it be... Politics, whether it be music, whether it be local sports, whether it be just events of the day, uh, Frank had a uh, had a great deal of knowledge and certainly a, a great opinion. Uh, the word that I used to, to describe Frank the other day, and I've seen other people use the word, Frank was a genuine guy. Uh, what you got was was unfiltered. He told you how he felt, but never in a mean-spirited way. He was always he, he was. And I think it relates. He was passionate every time he spoke. About whatever the subject was, uh, that he he let his feelings out there, and uh, you could uh, you you could know that he was being genuine and honest with you, whether whether he agreed with your point of view or disagreed with your your point of view, or uh, just happened to bring the subject up on his own, and uh, uh, just a lot of good memories of, of, of the time spent with Frank, just talking about things outside uh, the world of sports. In addition to, of course, uh, uh, the sports and, and the teams that he loved, the Chicago, Ohio State, etc.
1: Right, exactly. All right. Great. Great stuff, Andy. The Logical Approach, been around a long time, and of course a long time writer for, for gaming today as, as well too, and and Andy's still doing it, still handicapping it at a high level here. Uh, you sound great, my friend, and when I got a chance to see you at at one of the uh, the watch parties, it, it was great uh, there with Brian Blessing and stuff, and so uh, I'm glad we got a chance to to connect and, and talk, and I want to have you on uh, much more often, my friend. It's been a long time. Too long.
3: I'll look, I'll look forward to TC, glad you're doing so well, and I've enjoyed listening to your show, uh, uh, afternoons permitting.
1: Thank you, my friend. Appreciate you. Thanks, Andy. Thank you. There he is, Andy Isco, uh, long time, legendary handicapper here in Las Vegas, uh, and again, l- used to love uh, and still do. You know his uh, his newsletter and the, the logical approach and and Andy's handicapping. Uh, love it. Um, again, Stallworth here. In Las Vegas. Another guy who was a very good friend of Frank's, uh, who he thought the world of too. You know, Frank spent uh, a lot of time at the Aviators games, especially, you know, the last couple seasons because the Aviators, you know, new ballpark there in Summerlin was in walking distance from Frank's house. And uh, he used to love going out there. And uh, he was a big supporter, like we all are, of the Las Vegas Aviators. Our good friend Don Logan and Jim Gemma, who joins us now. And uh, Jim, how you doing, my friend?
4: See, see, uh, hope all is well. Uh, Sorry to speak with you under these uh, circumstances, but I did have a great smile, and uh, I I remember the boxing match between Seat and Ballpark.
1: I figured you when Andy was telling me about. It, I go wait. A- I bet Jim has got the inside scoop on this one.
4: Well, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, if you talk to Seed, he he embellishes everything. So I really, <laughs> right. really don't know what happened. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I yeah. I again, I wasn't here back. Uh, you know, that was when I was. You know, in Green Bay at that point in time. But uh, and I and I don't know, ever really remember Frank talking uh, about that. But uh, that'd be great. That'd be great. But uh, yeah, Jim. You know, Frank loved coming out. You know. Whether it was this going way back when, I mean, to the stars and the, the, so many of the renditions that has happened here in minor league baseball and especially, you know, the new ballpark there in, in Summerland as well, too. Um, and, and, and he loved he, he loved going out there and he loved you. You have always been good to to him and, and all of us media guys as well, too. And I just can't thank you enough, my friend.
4: Oh, no, I really appreciate the kind words. And, uh, you know, Ballpark Frank goes all the way back to the cash and field days with the Stars and the 51s. Uh, I know I texted him in early October, you know, wished him the best. And uh, that's really the last time, you know, I heard from him. And I was just really sorry. You know, I was following it. It really puts everything in uh, perspective. Sometimes we have days where – Oh, gosh, this is going you know, and this uh, puts everything in uh, perspective for sure.
1: Mm. So, you know, a lot of us have uh, been able to go to the ballpark, there, whether it's Cashman Field or the Las Vegas ballpark there in Summerlin, Jim, and throw out, you know, a ceremonial first pitch. Uh, do you recall Frank doing that? And, and I want to know, I mean, you know, how was it? I mean, how was his fastball?
4: Yeah, obviously, Lotus. Uh, I know we're talking on another station, but you know the, totally the games fine. are on. Yeah. yeah, the games are on there, and uh, we've had a lot of their personalities in the past years throughout first pitches at Cashman. Obviously, uh, that didn't transpire much the first two years of the ballpark due to COVID. But yeah, yeah, he definitely threw out first pitch at Cashman, and I know he he loved coming out to the ballpark here, and he always uh, had a hop in his step when the when the Cubs were playing here for Big League Weekend, and yeah. I was happy that he had an opportunity to get. Uh, radio time with uh, the National Hockey League, you know, the first Major League team here because I know he's a big Blackhawks fan so I-, I was real happy for him that he had that pre- and post-game show. Yeah,
1: you got it. Alright, Jim, I appreciate you spending some time with us today and some thoughts and some memories and again, uh, continued uh, success uh, with-, with the Aviators. You do a fantastic job. Love seeing you around town. It doesn't matter where it's at, at Legion Stadium or Mandalay Bay and I know you're a big Las Vegas Aces fan and I really appreciate your support uh, for the Aces and, and myself as well, too. I mean, uh, you've been a great friend and a a great contributor here, uh, and you helped all of us here in the media, here in Las Vegas.
4: No, I appreciate it. Of course, I'm a huge Aces fan, WNBA. I go way back to my days when I worked with the women's basketball team with the Lady Rebels, but uh, yeah, John Maxwell and the folks at the Aces are great, and uh, uh, the WNBA is a great
1: product. Thank you, Jim. Take care, my friend, and we'll look forward to some baseball here, uh, hopefully very, very soon. And, you know, hopefully we, we do get some baseball. We know we got a Major League Baseball lockout right now, but uh, we're keeping our fingers crossed, right?
4: Yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, the, the industry, they'll get this thing rolling and uh, the good – Part about the minor leagues, it's going uninterrupted as far as operations. Uh, you know, hypothetically, you know the minor leagues will will have a season, but uh, with uh, the industry involved, we we need Major League Baseball to, to to be playing. So
1: you got that right. All right, my friend, uh, great stuff. Uh, tell uh, Don Logan hello for me and uh, thank you very much, Jim. And we'll see you really really soon.
4: Thanks for having me on. Take care, TC.
1: Thank you. All right, Jim Gemma, long time. You know, PR <sighs> stalwart there. Uh, with the Las Vegas Aviators. And again, been around a long time, going back to Cashman Field and, of course, the ballpark there at Summerlin. Alan Snell, Las Vegas Sports Biz. I mean, he wrote a fantastic piece on Frank a couple nights ago. You can catch it out at uh, lvsportsbiz.com. I appreciate Alan for reaching out to to me to give some thoughts on that. But, uh, you know, Alan would always, uh, you know, visit with frank especially during uh, the hockey season as well too uh you know during the podcast uh, that, that he has and uh, alan joins us now alan what's going on my man
5: cc thank you so much for doing this yesterday's show was fantastic you know when you hear frank's voice on some of the segments you, you get a little sad but then you also smile and laugh too you know that's the thing i think we're all going through that so thanks so much for what you're
1: doing t c uh, thank you Alan. appreciate it and you know you know to that point, when we were putting that together yesterday, we were sitting here, Numchuck and I were talking about like, you know the, it it feels kind of strange or, or weird you know hearing you know, you know Frank on there, and then you know we found um you know one day where he was filling in for me, and we decided to put that clip to end the show yesterday where Frank is, is signing off. And I know some people may think that's a little eerie, but then we were sitting there and we just said, you know what? We, we, we love hearing Frank's voice and we're, you know, were doing this as a tribute to him. And I think the response was, you know, resoundingly like, Hey, that was really cool. You know, hearing Frank, even though we know that he is no longer with us, but to be able to, to put a smile on her face, like you said, and then to hear some of those funny bits and those witty one-liners that he always had, uh, you know, I think it was pr- pretty, pretty therapeutic. Uh, at least it, it was yeah, for you me. Know,
2: um,
5: I agree, and you know, since I report on the business and marketing side of the sports industry, Frank had a really unique position in this market because, you know, with with the advent of this, you know, big time major league sports coming to Las Vegas look we have to be uh honest sometimes things get a little on the hollywood side over the top you know everything is very scripted everything is like very is done not to offend demographic groups and what have you and then you have an old school guy like frank who really you know as as everyone has mentioned as 100% authentic unpretentious as genuine as you're going to get and he kind of grounded us and I kind of disliked his, he had just no airs about him. And I got to tell you, I first met um, Frank early on with the Vegas Golden Knights. We both showed up to the press box very early. I found it was a great place to do writing before things started to get kind of uh, filled up and loud there. And who was there also? Good old Frank Harnish. And when I saw Frank, I was wondering who is this burly looking dude walking in with this like, uh, little, um, a little portable bag on wheels. He'd be wheeling in with the Ohio State football letterman jacket. Remember that kind of varsity jacket he used to wear? Yep. <laughs> and then yep. With the long hair. And he's he kind of a new character. We used to kind of smooze a little about the Golden Knights. But then I got to know him really well, I thought, a year ago, about a year and a half, when uh, he got laid off from the radio station and I wanted to do a much deeper story on someone, a bit beyond just someone who got laid off, and try to flesh out the real person behind the numbers of the layoffs. And I went to Frank Harnish, and i got to tell you, um, I thought the best way was to basically meet him in his condo, see what this person was like. And as, as everyone has mentioned,
4: <laughs> Frank
5: does not mince words. And the beauty of Frank is that he could kind of talk about difficult topics, but in a really nice way. And as you mentioned, you know, we we ended up doing some podcasts about the Golden Knights because they were playing, you know, in the bubble in Edmonton during the whole summer. And, you know, you kind of have a couple podcast chats about what's going on. And people should really understand that beyond just, you know, the sports and he did everything at the radio station, we used to talk and he used to... End our sessions by saying, "You know what? Treat each other with, with some respect." Because, TC, you know, everyone's complaining, and there's still like tension and turmoil about wearing the mask and the protocols. And you go to games, and some places you have to wear them, and some places you don't. There's still a lot of tension publicly. But we used to end our conversations on the podcast, TC, mm-hmm. with Frank saying, "You know what? We're all in this." treat each other with some respect, show some peacefulness. And that was kind of, that was Frank. And I think we can't lose sight of that beyond the sports, beyond, you know, all the, uh, you know, big time games and stuff. We're talking about a guy who just lived his life the way he wanted to. And he lived his life with a sense of peace, not in his life, but also in the people all around him as well. And uh, Mm -hmm. I got to tell you, he's he's going to be really missed. Um, you know, he's, he's every industry and every business, every office has a Frank Harnish. He's kind of the old, the old school guy that just keeps everyone grounded and, you know, don't get too big for your britches. And he's just, you know, Frank is Frank. And I, and I get back to the main point about how even when you're still sad, you just hear his voice. And you can't, you can't help but smile and laugh. Right about Frank Harnish, you know, and that's that's the beauty of the man, you
1: know. Yep, you you nailed it, Alan, uh, perfectly, and you nailed it in your article. Go check it out at Sportsbiz dot com. Alan Snell did a fantastic job, and, uh, and just to your point, even though he was battling cancer and what he was going through, still. You know, he said don't feel sorry for me. He said this to me repeatedly and, and other people as well too. He goes, "Go live your life. I can't go out to the game tonight, but but you guys go. Don't worry about it, you know, and and don't worry about me. I'm going to be fine, but just, you know, continue to be you, live your life and and don't feel sad for me." And that's the kind of guy he was. He was a big-hearted, fun-loving guy that really cared a lot. I mean, a yeah. lot yeah. about other people.
5: I'm really glad you made that point, T.C., because sometimes people find it very difficult to talk about cancer, especially to people going through it. They don't know what to mm-hmm. say, the awkwardness. Because of Frank's personality, <laughs> he just cut right to the chase. He's There's such a selflessness to the guy that you can just talk about what's going on in his life, and he, can, he would just, as you know, some, the last time I saw Frank was I think probably maybe – We'd all kind of sit together. I think your your press box spot was near mine. I think at the UNLV college football games, and I think Frank maybe went to one of those games. And you know, with Frank, you know, it was a really difficult situation. Um, You know, I think one of your quotes in my story was really very telling, and that was, you know, Frank's going to live his life. I mean, Frank is just going to live his life the way he wants to see it, and. You know when, you and like you said when he was going through the treatment, going through the chemo. Um, I think it was one week on, one week off. He was like very blunt about it, and and just kind of talking the way he would do about, you know, who's playing the, you know, who's at the U.S. Open in the final, and right. you know the VGK goalie situation, this and that. And he would just talk with almost the same tone as he would, you know, about his chemo. Yes. And he and and you're right. He kind of diffused. And darn the awkwardness of it. And that's Frank. He's always thinking about you. Don't feel, you know, tense or awkward about talking about a crappy topic,
1: you know? Alan, I appreciate the time today. Great thoughts, my friend. And again, great job on your article, lvsportsbiz.com. I encourage everyone to go check it out. Thanks, my friend. And I look forward to seeing you this weekend.
5: Thanks so much, TC. Thanks for all you're doing, man. Much appreciated.
1: Thank you, Alan. I appreciate you. All right, uh, Brian Salmon. Our good friend, our regular, uh, m- had a nice piece last night on Frank uh, that appeared, part of the sportscast on uh, News 3. B. Sal, appreciate you taking some time today and joining us. What is happening, my friend?
6: Hey, I'm doing well, TC, man. I, I appreciate you having me on. Um, and really, man, I appreciate what you did doing for your friend, man. I mean, everybody's friend. Frank was a, a dude that everyone loved, man. And uh, your show yesterday was great. Today, having Allen and... And Jim Gemma on, and Al Bernstein yesterday, and and Stitch. I mean, uh, Phil Esposito. The guys that Esposito, the guys that I heard. Um, great show, man. I, I that's really wonderful for you to do.
1: Thanks, uh, I appreciate it, B Sal. And again, this is you know, I knew that the people wanted to express their, you know, their thoughts for Frank. Plain and simple. And again, uh, the guy's done so much, you know, for not only this this market. From a radio perspective, but just for people in general and uh it's it's just the right thing to do plain and simple and people love the guy and uh it, and and i and it's therapeutic for myself as well too to to hear everyone else talk about stories and people that even knew him longer than I've known him so uh that that's what I enjoy about it but uh i, I and I know you know, you're one of those guys too that um you know you got a chance to spend some time with him, you know not uh a, a long time over, over the years, but uh, you know we, we're all at games together. We're all hanging out. We're at events. We're at functions. Uh, what stood out to you about Frank?
6: One of the big things that stood out to me is that uh, Frank was a, a guy. Well, I met him when I was here, you know, between 2006 2010. So right. I I met him then. Didn't really know him all that well. And then when I came back. I got to talk to him and just realize how cool of a dude he was, man. When you know, at the beginning of the Golden Night season, when their inaugural season, and just talking with him, the biggest thing about Frank to me in this industry that is filled with people that have the biggest egos ever, he seemed like the like the the least uh, egotistical person that is on radio, on television, writing news, whatever in the media here in Las Vegas, man. I mean, you just so unassuming. You know, whether or not he was doing the the um, the flagship show for the Vegas Golden Knights, which is the hottest ticket in Las Vegas, or he's doing your show, or he's, you know, whatever. He was the same dude, man, just so, so egoless and, and humble and just a nice guy, man, you, you know. His choice in music wasn't all that great, but he was a good <laughs> dude, man. And, and I, you know what I mean? Let me like, <laughs> give him a hard time yep. about that, man. Yep. Fr- yep. Frank was a good dude,
1: man. Well, when we sit here and, and talk about uh, you know, the old school jams, I mean, he would just be looking at us like, okay, I don't know what the heck you guys are talking about, but uh, <laughs> but but he found a way to throw a one-liner in there, didn't he, and, and have us cracking up. <laughs>
6: he, he really did. He really did, man. I mean, that was uh, – his his brilliance of being on the air. And I just, and I remember also when I learned that you two hooked up and were you know, hosting the show together. I was like, wow, that's a, that's a good combination, man. Two guys are again, but I think it's just cool is, is all get up man together doing a show. Um, yeah, man, it, it's, it's always my pleasure to come on and talk with you. Even to come in studio when he was there. I mean, it was, uh, good times, man. I, I'm, I'm really sad, uh, you know, I was really sad to hear what happened. I learned about it on Instagram from another person, a guy named Ron Frazier. I don't know if you know who that is, yeah, but sure. he's, yeah. uh, you know, Ron. Yeah. yeah, and Ron had a picture with it. You know, Ron's a, a guy that worked with Randy Couture and all kind of UFC champions, and to have him put that out, I was like, good, and that's when I text you. So I'm like, goodness gracious, just think of that's how many people Frank touched around Las Vegas, you know what I mean, from all different aspects of media and sports and just a, a good dude man really good dude
1: all right b sal we appreciate you spending a few minutes uh, with us today and, and give us some thoughts and i know that we'll we'll see you around uh, this weekend we've got pac-12 championship we've got raiders and of course you know we'll have we'll have you on next week as well but uh appreciate your thoughts today uh, always great man, and uh like i said we we shared a lot of great times uh with with Frank here in the studio, and you either in studio or on the phone so i I'm really glad you got a chance to uh to participate in our tribute my friend
6: hey it was absolutely i couldn't mean this any more sincerely it was absolutely my pleasure absolutely my pleasure man and i and i'm I'm glad that I got an opportunity and had the opportunity to do something last night to honor Frank as much as i could man and even though i 'm not as close to him. As you you know, as you were so um, yeah. Thanks for having me on, TC. I appreciate it, my man.
1: You got it, be Sal. And again, uh, can can uh, can the listeners and viewers see your piece that you did last night? Is that up anywhere?
6: Uh, when I get to work today, I'm going to see if I can put it somewhere. And I, I may. And when I get it, um, I'll tweet it out to you. I'll put it out Perfect. on social media Perfect. so you can, you can check it
1: out. Thank you, brother. All right, be good, man. And we'll, right. we'll look forward to seeing see you this guy. weekend. Take care. You got it, brother. All right, buddy. Brian Salmon over in News Three. All right, another one of our local media is Heidi Fang and you know Heidi not only does a fantastic job with her covering of the combat sports and the Raiders but you know she's a regular on this show and has been for for a while and there was always a bond between Heidi and Frank not just from the media perspective, but a friendship perspective. Uh, their families were very, very close to each other. And uh, Heidi couldn't be with us on the show yesterday or today because she's out of town. Um, so she's enjoying some some downtime uh, with family. But she was really kind of bummed out that she couldn't be on and participate in the tribute yesterday or today. So she sent us an audio clip, and she wanted us to play this, and we're going to do that now as we head into the break. And when we come back, we will visit with T.J. Reeves. We will talk NFL Week 13, and we'll start looking ahead at the college conference championship games coming up this weekend as well, too, including the Las Vegas Bowl, and Johnson. Cindy will join us next hour. But as we go to the break, here is a very close friend of ours, specifically Ballpark Franks, Heidi Fang talking to us about her favorite friend.
7: This is for you, Frank. I don't think you would have wanted people to be upset and saddened by your passing. But as part of the community that we all are a part of, as a face that I would see all the time at events, as somebody who... Constantly showed their support for me. Uh, I miss you, man, and you were always a pleasure to be around. My son really loved you, mostly because when we would have barbecues, you would uh, give him all the balloons. I'm gonna miss seeing you while I'm facing the cartel playing cornhole. Gonna miss you when I come on this show and I don't hear your voice asking me a question. Gonna miss walking around the hockey games and not seeing you there. Or MMA or boxing. You were everywhere, man. Aces. Thank you for being a good friend to me and my family. We'll miss you, Frank. I hope they have Ballpark Frank on their waves wherever you are, man.
0: Now, more of your favorite personal sports physician. Don't make me beg, T.C. Martin.
8: Of course, you are a character. It doesn't mean that you have character.
0: The Doctor is now in
1: don't forget tomorrow we will be at the cosmopolitan of las vegas our friday home yes Mm -hmm. that's what i said earth wind and fire here last month i missed them was so busy game after game after game there's six shows here i missed every one of them I'm still bummed about that. That's not like I haven't seen him before. (laughs) Cosmopolitan tomorrow between 2 and 4 p.m. Mike Pritchard will join us, the former wide receiver. So uh, look forward to Pritch joining us. Always fun with him, my former colleague. uh, Marco D'Angelo will also join us tomorrow. Look forward to that. And, of course, Double B, our best bet segment. Somebody was 3-0 in the NFL last week. You know who that was, right? Yeah. That's right. Yours, yours truly. But you know who was even better than me? The last two weeks, Marco D'Angelo. He's been on fire. 11-1, going back to the last three times he's been on with us. So that's what we do here. Dish out winners. And yeah, before anybody asks me, okay, tell the entire crew, yes, you have to pick three college games this weekend. I understand. It's a very abbreviated schedule, but they're all big games. So, yes, crew, you can find three college games. There you have it. So, yeah. Come on by. Join us tomorrow at Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. Looking forward to that. And then right after that, we're going right over to Allegiant Stadium for the Pac-12 championship game, Oregon in Utah coming your way at Allegiant Stadium. And then, of course, we've got the Raiders in Washington on Sunday. Let's talk a little NFL football. Our good friend T.J. Reeves in Tampa Bay. What is going on, my man?
0: Always great to be with the doctor on many different occasions. I know you are still sizzling with all of the picks because you've been part of the Three Dog Thursday podcast. You had a little hiatus uh, for this week. I'm looking forward to having you back. Um, so keep up the good work with everything you're doing with your best bets there on friday and let me say at the outset of the conversation that you have done a fantastic job with the tributes to ballpark frank to frank harnish um and and uh, even though i only got to interact with him through your show and got to meet him when we were obviously out there in las vegas the outpouring that i have seen from everywhere tells you all that you need to know about frank and it echoes everything that you were saying on the show both tuesday and yesterday so um it really, it, it, it hurts. It stinks that he's not around. But I think it is neat in another way to have this many people talking about how great he was to them and what a great attitude he had. We can all we can all learn something from that from Frank. Out of all of this, so I just thought I would say verbal bouquet to the doctor here for for all of this because I know you uh, you were very good to him. Uh, when he found out he was no longer going to have a gig, and uh, and that says something for you as well, my friend. So there we go.
1: Thanks, T.J. I, I appreciate that. But you know, really, I wanted to you know make the entire focus uh, about Frank because it is about Frank and and everything. And he he deserved uh, to be back on the air, and uh, I was I was more than happy uh, to have him. I was ecstatic to have him, and again, you know, loved being on the air with him when we were together at our previous location. Kept you, know, you in line. Yeah, Kept you in you line go. on a regular basis. Kept me in line.
0: Somebody's we... got to smack you every now and then, that's and right. I'm not there to do it. Nunchuck's <laughs> got the glass between you and he, so Frank had to do it. That's, that's <laughs> what had to happen. It's true.
1: But uh, just, yeah, great, great compliment uh, to the show. So thank you very much, my friend. Uh, speaking of a compliment, i got to compliment uh, your Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The, you know, I was on him uh, last week. And a lot of people looked at me like I had three heads. Like, what are you doing? I mean, the Colts are on fire. Are you kidding me now? Uh, Carson Wentz is back. I said, just slow your roll a little bit. I said, Tampa Bay is going to, you know, come in here and take care of business. A little bit of slow to begin with, but they got the job done. Win and cover 38 31 last week. I want, uh, Describe how that was for you because that 's not a venue where you get a chance to go to very often uh, you know the the bucks don 't don 't play the colts uh, hardly at all, but uh, how was that? Describe what it was like uh you know being in the dome there last week with the sunshine coming in at the beginning part of the game. A lot of people don 't realize that, but what you got the glass up there and i 've been. Uh, there before. I've not been inside to a game, but I've been outside and know the area very well there. But, uh, yeah, uh, I'm curious uh, how it was broadcasting.
0: Okay, so there was a lot that went into last week that relates to 52 weeks ago at this time. So as you mentioned, first of all, in Indianapolis, they generally don't see the sun between November and March. It's, it's usually dark, gloomy, cold, nasty. This is why everybody comes to Florida, comes to Arizona, comes to the Vegas desert for, to, to see the sun. So that was a bit unusual. It was cold, even by Indianapolis standards. It was wind chill in the, in the mid-20s Sunday morning. Now, it did warm up to about 40 degrees, so luckily we were inside for that part of it. Here's what I can relate, and I I have done games in there before. I've been in there for the Final Four uh, previously as well. uh, When Duke captured the Final Four beating Wisconsin after Wisconsin had beaten Kentucky in the unbeaten season. Kentucky was 38-0. Wisconsin beat them in the semifinals. That was the 2015 Final Four. So it was crazy in that building. So a year ago in the COVID-19 crazy season with the Big Ten delaying things, and then eventually playing the championship game. They played the championship game in that facility. The Indianapolis health officials, the Indiana State health officials, were going to allow up to 12,000 people or so to come in for the championship game. And the Big Ten said no, and the Big Ten had fewer than 1,000 total people there, friends, family of the players, and that was it. Like cheerleaders, no bands, cheerleaders, Friends and family, so it was bizarre. It was quiet. We're doing the game up in the press box. There's no one there. They're piping in crowd noise. Okay, so fast forward to last weekend where they were at full volume about a half hour before that game. Everybody's in their seat. They're all clad in blue. They're going berserk. So it was definitely different in that regard. Uh, And it's going to be wild on Saturday night for them to have the Michigan and the Iowa fans there going full blast after a game 52 weeks ago where no one was there. There was no atmosphere, so it was definitely strange. And uh, the Colts had been playing very well. They had won five out of six. The Bucks got off to another slow start, but the second half, they they kicked it in, got some turnovers. Leonard Fournette uh, played well, and, and they found a way to win a game against a really good team. And now it sets up for a very favorable end of the season for the Buccaneers.
1: Yeah, the Bucks right now 8-3. and three. Uh, here we go, and you know I said earlier on during the show that you know once that calendar flips uh, to December, especially if you're Tom Brady, it's like okay, it's it's serious time, it's go time, and of course you know it's always serious time with Tom Brady. We get that, but let's turn back the clock a little bit too. And I know it was it was Brady's first season with the Bucks. Uh, the record wasn't nearly as good at this point in time. What does this season feel like at this point right now? Compared to last year at this time?
0: They were chasing the Saints at this time last year. And at this time last year, they had lost the three games in November to New Orleans, to the Rams on Monday night, and to the Chiefs. If you remember, Tyreek Hill had 200 yards and a backflip for a touchdown in the first quarter of the game. In the first quarter of the game, all of that happened in November last year for three losses. They went on a bye week. They came off the bye week the second week in December, and they never lost again. They won the final four regular season games, won the three road playoff games, and then won the Super Bowl. Right now, you're in command in the division, so it's different. You're 8-3. and You basically have the chance to put the division away Sunday. It's not mathematical, but if you win this game Sunday, you're three clear of everybody and potentially four clear of everybody with six games to go. Brady and the Buccaneers aren't giving that lead-up. So it'll be interesting tonight if the Saints don't do anything and lose again to the Dallas Cowboys. And then the Bucks win on Sunday. The division race is basically over. So that's what's at stake here, a chance to be 9-3. and three. And really now you're jockeying with the Rams, the Packers, the Cardinals, and the Cowboys for who ends up in the 3, the 2, or the 1 spot uh, up at the top. Uh, and the 1 spot is the only one that gets the bye. So that becomes your focus if you can get this win on Sunday.
1: All right, TJ Reeves joins us, the Bucks sideline reporter. We're talking about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're rolling right now 8-3. Of course, you talk about the Bucks. Everyone wants to talk about Tom Brady. And, you know, he's still a guy that some people still like to say, well, you know, the age factor, it's creeping up. We're seeing more interceptions this season. Tell me what you're seeing, you know with Brady, and it's so easy and I hate it. You know, people want to use the the age card all the time. Well, you know, he starts throwing picks or he starts you know taking more sacks. Well, he's old. He should he should wrap it up. I want to know in a really objective uh, you know, position that you can be in, what do you see Tom Brady here the last few weeks of the season. I mean, is it the Brady that we saw last year? Is there uh, something that's different? That's uh, you know, um, what's going on with him? In your opinion,
0: I think he still got it. I think there have been a couple of interceptions here in recent games, but there still have been some laser beams and some big time passes. Uh, it's good to have Rob Gronkowski back. He clearly trusts that guy uh, going down the field as, a, as like a security blanket. He had. Six catches last week, his second ever 100 yard game as a Buccaneer. So, with Gronk back, I think there's a bigger trust factor and comfort factor. And this team has got so many weapons uh, with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin to go along with Gronk. And now, Scotty Miller, the speedster, the little uh, wide receiver that burned the Packers at the end of the first half of the NFC Championship game, he can be a deep threat as well. And now you got Fournette as a pass catching back, kind of like a couple of people have compared him to Kevin Falk uh, in the old Patriots uh, passing game offense. I think Fournette's a little better runner than Kevin Falk was. Mm -hmm. Kevin Falk maybe a little bit better receiver. Interesting they both played at LSU. But uh, he was playoff Lenny last year, Lombardi Lenny, and now I'm saying he's Turkey Lenny. He's Thanksgiving Lenny after the four touchdowns in Indianapolis. If If they still get productivity like that out of Leonard Fournette, so many weapons right now, and Brady has held up physically. So for now, as we head down the stretch one of the regular season, he can make the throws, and I think the Bucks are going to be in good shape and, again, a very favorable schedule starting this week because of the final six games, only one with the Buffalo Bills is a team with a winning record. The other five, the team starting with Atlanta, has a losing record when the Bucks are ready to play them. So let's see if the Buccaneers can take advantage of that favorable schedule.
1: All right, Saints and the Cowboys tonight. Uh, yeah. Sean, Sean Payton hasn't lost four games in a row, but you know, people want to make a big deal out of that. But the bottom line is this is not the same Saints team. I understand there's injuries. Kamara has... Has been out, uh, you know, questionable, you know, for tonight. But then you know, you throw Trevor Simeon in the mix. I mean, he's zero and four. Now it looks like Taysom Mills finally going to get a start. Probably should have, you know, made that move earlier. But I understand he's been injured as well too. He's not a hundred percent. This Saints thing is it going to get turned around, or are we at the point right now with this team that it's it's just a write off, plain and simple? And then let's go to the flip side. The opponent tonight, the Cowboys, coming off that miserable, embarrassing performance against the Raiders on Thanksgiving Day. Not only did they lose the game on their home turf, but committing the ridiculous amount of penalties, the 14 penalties for 166 yards.
0: Yeah, the Cowboys clearly need this one because they are in the playoff chase. They're leading the East. They they want uh, to playoff seating-wise and to stay in the hunt for the NFC number one seed to get this win. I believe what you said at the beginning of the question. I think that the Saints are in the middle of a slide. They don't want to acknowledge it. Their fans don't want to acknowledge it. You may see them slide badly for the rest of this because, again, Michael Thomas is not a name you mentioned there, but he hasn't played the whole year with a leg injury. Um, They're going to miss Marcus Davenport, their outstanding pass rusher again tonight. Doesn't look like Kamara is able to play again tonight. Uh, they have another receiver, Deontay Harris, who's suspended for an offseason DUI. The league suspended him for three games. Uh, you mentioned the quarterback situation. Taysom Hills had a concussion and a knee injury. I don't know how long he's the quarterback tonight. I think he starts the game, but if this is bad, they may go back to Trevor Simeon and try to see if he can salvage something. It's kind of an experiment where I'm sure Sean Payton's been working with this, uh, you know, trying to figure it out here. Um, and see if, if the changeup can do something in terms of, like, the read option, some design runs, some misdirection stuff with Taysom Hill. But if that goes south, it wouldn't surprise me if Trevor Simeon's back in the game, especially, like, in the second half of a closed game. Yes. Uh, because at this point, New Orleans is trying anything. They're desperate. So – We'll see. Uh, you know, there there is a school of thought here, and you know this because you've been around a long time. You don't want your team to be lukewarm. You either want them to be really good and be a playoff team, or you want them to be really bad and improve the draft status and the draft pick status. So right now, if the Saints don't win tonight and that's five straight losses, it is obvious. It's as obvious as a neon billboard. They're going nowhere. So do you really want to win two or three games at the very end here and ruin your draft situation if you're in the top ten, if not the top five? It's amazing to say that about the Saints but we may be about to be there.
1: You got it. All right, he is TJ Reeves and he will be uh with the Bucks uh, against Atlanta coming up this weekend and those uh lowly Falcons and the Bucks really in the driver's seat at 8 and 3 right now and like you said just you know one tough opponent coming up on the schedule those Buffalo Bills. So all right, enjoy uh, the game on Sunday, TJ. Appreciate you, and of course, his Three Dog Thursday podcast. Go check yes. that out. I will be back next week, my friend. That's right. Had to take a little bit of a hiatus, uh, but yep. I-, I will be back uh, to defend my belt. The doctor next week.
0: is eleven. You were quoting numbers for your best bets. The doctor is eleven and two picking NFL underdogs on three dog Thursday. So we can't wait to have you back on that. I need a quick read because I'm headed to the ATL where Georgia and Alabama are playing in the SEC title game. And no, I do not have a ticket yet, but I may end up with a ticket. The doctor's not there in Atlanta to help me get a ticket or I'd have a ticket. I don't have a ticket yet. Do I smell that the doctor might be on a little Alabama underdogage for the SEC title game, or do I have to wait for best bets tomorrow no, on the show at the Cosmo? No,
1: I'll give you a little taste of that. Uh, you know, I, w- I was hoping the number would be a little bit more than that, but that's okay. Alabama's getting six and a half. But yes, uh, I definitely are already on the teaser pleaser uh, variety. Uh, with that, but yes, uh, again, this is still Alabama. Alabama is six and zero in the Mercedes uh, Benz Dome, and uh, they do seem to have Georgia's number. I understand that you know there was different players, that sort of thing, but Georgia still hasn't faced an opponent like Alabama. And I know a lot of people are a little sour on the tide right now, but yes. Uh, I think the Tide could be a live dog in this one. It is Alabama, remember. And I can already hear Eli Gold talking about Alabama Crimson Tide. Down <laughs> Alabama. Uh, by the
0: way, on the stats, Alabama has only been an underdog twice in the last decade. That's incredible. And both times it has been in the SEC title game for the Florida Gators.
4: Yep. So
0: that, I mean, that's amazing that going on now, like, eight years, they haven't been an underdog against anybody, including in the college football playoff when they've lost to Clemson or whatever. They haven't been an underdog. I'm looking so this, forward to uh, it. This will be
1: fascinating. Looking forward to it. One o'clock uh, coming up on Saturday. Take care, brother. We'll talk to you soon. Appreciate you.
0: Always good to be with you. You guys be well in the desert.
1: There he is, T.J. Reeves. All right, we come back on the other side. John Sassenti, the executive director of the Las Vegas Bowl. I love having John on. We'll have some fun with that. Scott Spritzer will handicap some winners at the bottom of next hour, so don't you dare go anywhere. The Stones, another one of ballpark Frank's favorites. Our message, we do miss you.
2: Check this out Well I'm the best corner of the game When you try me with a sorry receiver like Crabtree That's the result you're gonna get Don't you ever talk about me
0: Don't you open your mouth about the best Or you am gonna shut it for you real quick Live in the entertainment capital of the world
6: It's the T.C. Martin Show Hey don't roll it, hit it downhill With power, you're running straight downhill You know where we're coming And we know where y'all are gonna be lined up at now you just got to stop. I'm saying I'm better than you.
4: It's the doctor,
6: TC Martin. Beast mode is already an The doctor is now here. The
0: beast is alive
6: and well.
1: Hour number two. Glad to have you with us here on this thunderous Thursday edition of the TC Martin show. Don't forget tomorrow, Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas, our Friday home, best bet segment, and a whole lot more. Mike Pritchard will be joining us tomorrow. Marco D'Angelo, Double B, Brian Benowitz, always great there. And then we're heading over to Allegiant Stadium for the Pac-12 championship. Oregon and Utah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Pac-12 now making their home for the Pac-12 championship game from the football side at Allegiant Stadium. So that'll be fun. And you know what else is coming to Allegiant Stadium? (laughs) The Las Vegas Bowl. Pumped up, revved up, fired up, ready for that, finally. It's been a long time coming. And our next guest, I know he's been waiting for two years, probably even longer than that, uh, for the Las Vegas Bowl to get in its new digs at Allegiant Stadium with fans. He is John Cicente, the executive director of the Las Vegas Bowl, a great friend of not only the program, but just a great friend in general. My friend, What's happening? Hey buddy, thanks
8: for having me on. I, I could actually uh I could I could have sat there and listened to Marshawn Lynch quotes for all day long while uh while you had me on hold that was awesome.
1: Well, that's how we do it, man. Would you like some Skittles, man? Maybe we can get you some Skittles, man. We get you some
8: Skittles. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if you remember this, but but Marshawn's a good friend of the Las Vegas Bowl. We spent a lot of time together. Mm-hmm. Uh he, we put him in the Las Vegas Bowl. first of all he played in the game back in two thousand five, but we put him in the Las Vegas Bowl Hall of Fame. Uh, just five years ago, and uh, we had him out for five full days. That was that was quite a treat.
1: <laughs> yeah, and from what I remember that too, John, that uh, you had bags under your eyes, your eyes were bloodshot. Uh, you, you could barely walk on game day. I remember that. Probably because <laughs> I of Marshawn. Game
8: day. <laughs> I, I will say he did, he did force me to drink Hennessy, which was the first time in my life I ever had Hennessy. <laughs> a little Henny. Come
1: on, come on, Scente! Come on, Johnny Sack! Go, you gotta have a little henny with me. Oh, that's hilarious! Good stuff. There we go. Yeah, Marshawn Lynch. He loves Vegas, doesn't he? And this guy's here all the time. He has a place here, right? He
0: is.
8: Here. He is here all the time. And the last two times I I talked to him or saw him, I just randomly ran into him at at functions here. Uh, and, and he still refers to me as his little Italian friend. So, And I, I don't know if that's just He just can't remember what my name is.
1: Well, I I heard he said something else, but that, he called you a little something else. But that that's okay. We'll go with a little Italian friend. No, I'm just kidding, man. I'm just kidding. Oh, bro, I'm low-key faded, bro. Now, that's not Marshawn, okay? Let's be perfectly clear. That's nowhere close to Marshawn, okay? Marshawn's a legit running back. Not that Hammenager right there. Uh, we almost, who who you know, was that? That was Ezekiel Elliott. You're going to see him tonight. Oh, yeah. all right, all right. Yeah, yeah, There you go, man. All right, John, uh, let's talk a little bit about the Las Vegas Bowl. Uh, the new home, Allegiant Stadium, 29 years this bowl game. And it seems like I say this to you about this time every year, since 1992 when the Las Vegas Bowl is here and and just keeps on going. Now it's 29 years and counting, if my math is correct. Uh, huge moment for this bowl because it will be on the biggest stage that it's ever been. Uh, Not that it wasn't on a big stage before, but you know what I mean. Now the game has moved uh, back about a week and a half or two weeks. We're going December 30th, 7.30 p.m. in Allegiant Stadium. Uh, For this bowl game, it's, it's huge because... It, it increases the reputation. I think it's big for you guys as a staff. It's big for you as the executive director. It's huge for Las Vegas. And really, this is probably the biggest stepping stone. You and I have talked about this before, of getting a potentially a college football playoff here or a national championship game here.
8: Yeah, and, and, and listen, uh, TC, that was always part of the plan. And, and I do have to correct you one, one little bit. This is actually our 30th year. See, I uh,
1: so, so you my math it's, isn't it's, right. Yeah,
8: yeah, it's it's, it's year thirty because ninety two was the 29th. first,
1: and so twenty one would be the thirtieth. Yeah. My bad. See, yeah, technically,
8: technically, two thousand twenty counts as a DNP year. Did not play. We had to go do a little research to find out, like what happened way back in the days when they had, uh, you know, major events in, in times of war, and they literally just put on there uh, did not play, and so it still counted as a year um but 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 no game played so right. we we decided to take the same path and call this year number 30 still okay. which it is and and uh and go but it is going to be uh, without a doubt our our biggest year and and to your point that you made uh part of the reason when Allegiant Stadium started to get built we we sat down with the Las Vegas Convention and Visitor Authority we sat down with the Raiders and we said listen we have an opportunity here to do something very unique and very different. And, and, it, and, and the, the, the idea behind it was twofold. One, how do we make the Las Vegas Bowl a, a, a big-time event and separate it from every other event um, that comes to Las Vegas? But how do we separate the Las Vegas Bowl from other bowl games around the country? And the idea behind it was, was twofold. One. Like I just said, we were going to separate the Las Vegas Bowl from others. We 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 formed this unique alliance with three of the Power Five country, uh, conferences, with the Big Ten, the SEC, and the Pac-12. At the time, nobody had a, a three-conference alignment, especially with three Power Five conferences, and quite frankly, the, the three most powerful uh, Power Five conferences. So so that was that was step one to upgrade. But the reason we met with the LBCBA and we met with the Raiders on this is we said, look, if if we have three of the Power Five. You know participating in our game and, and experiencing las vegas and coming here and seeing what vegas is all about it certainly opens the door and it makes things a lot easier for that national championship for that college football playoff and for everything everything else that the the the, the three most powerful conferences in college football can open up those doors that they can open up so so here we are today i, I can't believe that we're we're just a couple days away from finally selecting teams this is our big 10 year so we're going to have pack 12 big 10 and Next year, uh when we're when we're talking at this time next year we'll be talking about breaking down S C C teams. on will be S C C and Pac twelve, which uh, which which right now, um and, and that's obviously not gonna change for the next couple of years, we're the only scheduled S C C Pac twelve bowl matchup in the entire country. No other bowl has that matchup. So again, we've separated ourselves from other bowl games and kept this thing unique.
1: Johnson Sandy joins us. The executive director of the Las Vegas Bowl. One of my favorite times of the year is going to this game. Even when it was at Sam Boyd Stadium, you and I have talked about this, you know, before. And you were never shy about saying, you know, hey, you know, we appreciate Sam Boyd. It was great for us back in the day, but you could hardly wait to get out of there uh, because you, you did have a lot of limitations. And now you're on the grandest stage of of them all here, and this is going to be a huge announcement coming up on Sunday. Uh, From an excitement standpoint, John, I mean, how different has, you know, the weeks leading up to this been for you? And how much more excited are you for the announcement coming up on Sunday? Well, I'm
8: incredibly excited. And I'll tell you, nobody did more hard time at Sam Boyd Stadium than me. I, (laughs) I, I went to school there for five years and saw some bad Rebel teams. I did a year uh, with the XFL there, and then I did you know damn near close to twenty bowl games there, uh, plus UNLV football games because we used to own the multimedia rights uh, at UNLV. So I've I've probably attended more college football games than than most, or most most football games there than most. Uh, it was great for where we were uh, at that particular time, but certainly uh, certainly do not miss it today. Um, but I'll t- I'll tell you where we sit today. You, you talk about the excitement of the bowl game; the the community is obviously. Uh, sees uh, what this game has become, and 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 knows that they're going to get something pretty good here, and they're going to see big time college football. Because where we stand today on December the second, you know, we're three days away from selecting our teams, and if we were playing at Sam Boyd, we'd already be sold out. We sold thirty eight thousand tickets to a game that nobody knows who's playing in it, and what that says is we've done a pretty good job over the years creating some pretty fun atmosphere and creating some pretty good matchups. And and people, listen, part of it is they want to see Sam Boyd Stadium. But part of it is they know they're going to go see a big-time college football event. And they're going to get to experience that. So I, I think the community has, has certainly spoken up and, and, and talked about how excited they are. With again thirty-eight thousand tickets sold, and, and we're not selected until Sunday. Uh, I'm pretty optimistic as to where we're going to land uh, come December thirtieth.
1: And as far as the Legion Stadium goes, there are so many people that still have not been inside. You know, the locals that haven't been. But as we've seen. You know, with the Iowa State game in, in UNLV, I mean, people want to come and see. Some big time college football. They want to see big time opponents, and you know people are will will are traveling. I mean, you're going to see a lot of tourists that are going to be coming in specifically to see a Legion Stadium, and of course, now with the timing of the game being you know two days you know before New Year's or you know, the night before New Year's Eve, that's going to uh, enhance this. I mean, this is going to be a big deal, John, and it may take maybe a couple years for. You know, maybe the general public to get a hold of this, but you know, once someone experiences, you know, big time, major college football here, like I said, with SEC, Big Ten, and and the Pac-12 here, I mean, this is going to be a hot ticket for years to come.
8: Yeah, we we hope so, and that, and that's the goal. Is we know we've got to we know we've got to start somewhere. Uh, we know we've got to build it up, and uh, and listen, the, the one thing that we've been preaching all year long, you, you talk about for years to come, years to come. It was critical for us to get off on the right foot in year one. Um, I, I think back to, to uh, it, uh, ironically enough, where we started this conversation, Marshawn Lynch's Cal team back in 2005. And, and, and it, at that particular time, I think a year or two before, the NCAA had a – they put a rule in place that uh, not only did you have to average over a three-year period in order to keep your bowl certification, you had to average 25,000 people in attendance. It wasn't an announced number. You had to actually count 25,000 people in the building over a three-year average, and it was a rolling three-year average. And quite frankly, the bowl was was struggling to get to that three-year average of 25,000 year in and year out. And I, I think back to that Marshawn Lynch-Cal team that played BYU, and, and that was the first sellout in the history of the Las Vegas Bowl was in 2005. And what happened was when we sold that event out, it completely changed the perception of the game. Uh, the people in town thought it was a big-time event. Anytime somebody gets shut out of tickets and, and they go, why wasn't I there? How do I go? Uh, they were buying tickets early. They were they were supporting the game early, and they knew we we went on a pretty good run there. I think we sold out eight of the next ten. Um, but it had to start somewhere, and, and that's what was critical for us is how do we get this thing off on the right foot and make sure that in year one we have a great matchup. And we've been working really hard, working on the phones. I've talked to, gosh, I've talked to probably nine athletic directors in the last three days. Um, I've gotten phone calls from head coaches. I've gotten phone calls from famous alums. Uh, One of my favorites was the other night I got a phone call from Ryan Leif uh talking about some old he, he he was telling me some old stories from back in Washington the the connections that he had with some of these coaches that are still uh in the hunt and and it's been great you know PJ Fleck from Minnesota what a what a super impressive guy he called kind of putting the pitch on it it's been fun it's been exhausting um but I I know when we get here Sunday and 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 we announce those teams I uh, I'm pretty confident that that everybody listening is going to go all right, I can I can get down with that. Yep. That's going to be a pretty good matchup. Yep.
1: And this is fantastic because you're you know usually traveling the country and you're going to these places. You know usually in the Mountain West, and we always joke with you about that. Uh, going to some of these outposts, and you know, you're, you're saying, okay, well, this, we're not going to have this team when it was the old Mountain West, you know, basically versus the Pac-12, and now you've got the affiliation, like we said, with the SEC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12. And now it seems like, like I said, you are not doing the recruiting. It's like these coaches or these ADs are calling you, and they're pitching to get in this game. I mean, how, how great is that?
8: Yeah, yeah, listen, it's always better to be the pretty girl at the dance, right? Right. It's it's been great. And and listen, I I can tell you, we were joking around yesterday. It was the first time in in at least 10 years that I had a birthday uh, here in Las Vegas. Because to your point, I was always on the road getting ready to head to both the Pac-12 championship and the Mountain West championship. Uh, I'm not going to be able to attend the Big Ten championship this week. Um, because of, you know, being on a Saturday, there's no way I can get back here on time for for the Sunday announcement. But the beauty about having the Pac-12 championship in our backyard is I get to still go to the Pac-12 game uh, tomorrow night and and, and see two great teams kind of battle it out. Granted, I I, I don't know if uh, either one of those teams are going to be in our window at the end of the day. They both had great seasons. The winner goes to the Rose Bowl. Loser most likely goes to the Alamo Bowl. Um, And then we start selecting from there. Mm
1: -hmm. John Cicente uh, joins us, the executive director of the Las Vegas Bowl. Okay, talk to us about the the process of selecting the teams and who are your targets.
8: Yeah, so so the process is uh, we, we're actually we we got thrown a little bit of a curveball that, that that unfortunately I, I I'm not able to share at this particular moment, but uh, we we had our we had our team selection meeting on Tuesday night with our committee. We, went, we ran through every single scenario possible. Uh, if if the Big Ten gets three teams up, what do we do here? If the Big Ten gets three teams up and it's this particular team, what do we do here? Uh, if they get two up, what do we do here? Um, you know, the the, the the Pac-12 team's in the mix. This team beat, beat this team, what do we want to do here? If this is our Big Ten team, who's a better matchup of the uh, – of, of the teams on the Pac-12 side. We, we've we got a group that has done a lot of research with regards to, you know, alum, alums in the neighborhood and how far they are away and how many how many alums they have across the country. Uh, I even had one guy that, you know, we, we have a guy on our committee that's connected to uh, some guys in the desert, and uh, we he, he provided us with potential lines for different matchups on what they would look like with – you know, over-unders, and if this team played this team, so we can try to best guess what the best matchup could be, right? Right. Like, we were taking all that stuff into account. So we left that meeting on Tuesday with a pretty good idea and some marching orders on what we wanted to do. Uh, We're actually going to have another Zoom today. I I received a little bit more information on a couple of the teams. That is important that I share with our group, uh, just to make sure that they have all the information and they still want to vote appropriately. Um, nothing nothing earth shattering no coaches getting fired nobody getting in trouble so it's nothing like that it's 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 more so on the business side of things Um, but we're gonna we're gonna revisit that today at four o'clock and um and then we sit around and wait we watch the big 10 championship game on saturday to see who wins between michigan and iowa because that will have implications we're gonna watch the cincinnati houston game because that'll have some implications Uh, obviously the Pac-12 game on on Friday, and then we have to watch the ranking show just like everybody else. We don't get a preview of those rankings on Sunday. We're up early and we're watching TV and we're seeing who's getting in and and who's playing in New Year's 6, and then we can make our choice appropriately after that Sunday morning. So by about 12.05 on Sunday – we will have our matchup. We'll be official, and and we're actually going to be announcing it. Uh, the Raiders have been uh, very gracious as to open up their doors at Allegiant Stadium and allow us to use their their press room, given the fact that most of the media folks are going to be there covering the game on Sunday. Right. So by about twelve fifteen, twelve thirty on Sunday, we'll we'll be we'll be letting everybody know.
1: Man, I'll be there, my friend. Great stuff. All right, John. So for a lot of
8: people, I'll bring you a new sweatshirt, man. That... You start sending me selfies with bad sweatshirts. <laughs> I got to upgrade you.
1: Bad. You're, you're the one that gave me uh, this sweatshirt. I know he's years ago, but there I, it is. I'm always I know, repping.
8: You, you, got a, you got the wrong sponsor on there, man. We got to get you upgraded. We got some new black ones here with a little bit smaller logo and a yes. new Las Vegas yes. Bowl logo, so we'll we'll get you dialed in.
1: I love it. This is my guy, John Sassenti, no doubt. Uh, love it. Um, for a lot of our uh, listeners, they don't really know how the the procedure works for selecting these teams. Now, this is not like your fantasy football draft where when you go through all the bowl games, okay, let's see who's up. Oh, let's see, the Las Vegas Bowl. Okay, they're they're drafting 15th here, that sort of thing. That's not how it works. Go ahead and and tell us how this is all going to come together where... You know, you actually determine which teams you're going to go after. Is it actually the bids that you send out, and then the then the schools say, "Okay, well, we're going to consider that"? Because all of this drops very, very quickly, and it's almost like dominoes. And you know, a lot of people think it's it's a total mad scramble. So, can can you paint the picture for us how this goes down here? Um, it, you know, within this you know out, you know three or four hour window after you know, a Sunday.
8: Yeah, the, the the mad scramble is actually Sunday morning. Right now, we we've got all of our scenarios in place. We've got all our ducks in a row. And and listen, I, I can tell you exactly who ultimately is in our window. It's down to four teams on each side. Uh, on the Pac-12 side, um, you have a seven and five Oregon State. You have a seven and five Washington State. And then you have an eight and four UCLA and an eight and four uh, ASU right so so those are the four teams that we've been evaluating those are the four teams that we've been looking at and breaking down those are the four teams that we've been communicating on the Pac12 side uh that is that is one side where I don't think a whole lot's going to change i think we can pretty much narrow in what we want to do and 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 the process there is at 11:55 uh i'm sorry at 11:45 uh the Pac12 will call the Alamo Bowl and ask them who they want and then at 11:55 they'll call us and say the Alamo Bowl has selected so and so. You're on the clock, and we basically have you know two or three minutes to make our selection. But th- it's a pretty easy process at that point for us because we have a pretty good idea. You know, the Big Ten side is a little bit more complicated because there's some games that are still in play that that that, that come into play and, and affect what we're trying to do. Um, you know, we're going to uh, we're, we're 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 narrowed that one down to four teams as well. Um, you have uh, uh, an eight and four Purdue. Uh, you have an eight and four Minnesota. You have an eight and four Wisconsin, and you have a seven and five Penn State. Um, so again, none of those four teams have played in our game. Wisconsin is the only one that's played here in Las Vegas. Uh, we've seen what they're capable of doing, what their <laughs> fan base uh, does when they come to Las Vegas. So, so the Big Ten one, we we will have to wait for to see what happens if Iowa beats Michigan and plays up into the into the New Year's six. Um, so that game's going to have big implications. And then if, if Michigan beats Iowa, then we have to sit around and see where Michigan State falls with regards to the CFP rankings. If they're in the top 10 or top 11, they may play into a New Year's Six game. And then the third team goes up and plays from the Big Ten. And so now you're looking at uh, the, the the conference will start calling at 1145. They'll call the Citrus Bowl first. Uh, the Citrus Bowl will make their selection, um, depending on who's there. They call the Outback Bowl second, and at 12 o'clock right on the nose, they call us at Las, Las Vegas and tell us who Citrus took and who Outback took and tell us that we're on the clock. But again, once we get that call on Sunday, uh, we we have a pretty good idea of what's going to happen in any scenario. It'll be a very, very quick, easy selection because we've done our homework on the front end.
1: It, it is like a draft. I mean, it's it's, it's like a fantasy uh, football draft. There it is. Okay, we're on the clock. Here we go. Yeah. How great would it be if Wisconsin, you know, fell in? I mean, you, you wouldn't want Wisconsin here. No, not at all, would you? <laughs> you got to love is that. Is that – I take it that's your vote? That, well, I mean, from a – yeah, because from a standpoint of – Of, uh, you know, all those teams you named, it's not even close on who travels the best. And Wisconsin has a history of coming here, not just for football, but for basketball. And, again, they travel so well. I mean, they love coming out here. I mean, it would be a no-brainer. We have saw what Wisconsin does when they come out here and play UNLV or play in your bowl game before. You know what I'm saying? So, it's, yeah, I would would think it's a no-brainer.
8: I can tell you. I can tell you, I did receive a phone call from all the beer sponsors, uh, pushing Wisconsin. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. And I'm sure Johnsonville brought uh, to be on board as well, too. You know, no problem. Right on. Right on.
8: <laughs> Look there. That's a great fan base. Uh, I've been to Madison. I've been to a couple games there. Uh, I've been, I was at the games here. I see what their fan base is capable of. It, it's, they are they are they are they are a special group of people that that certainly love their Badgers and I think if if it doesn't matter where they're playing a game they're going to show up and they're going to follow their fans. Yeah. I mean their team.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I just uh, I'm envisioning a Wisconsin UCLA matchup. That wouldn't be too bad, would it?
8: No, I, I would call it. I would call it Rose Bowl Eve. There you East, go. I, I have a feeling I get a cease and desist letter. real quick.
1: You, I don't think you can go wrong with any of that. <laughs> Those are all big time teams, and like you said, yeah, I know you guys are going to knock it out of the park and do a fantastic job. And like you said, you want to get it right this first year, and uh, it, it will be fantastic. Real quick, John, you mentioned again the SEC. The Big Ten, the Pac-12, the new affiliations. So, how does that work? I know it's a rotating situation here, but again, it's you're, you're dealing with three teams, rather three conferences, rotating every year. So, what is on board for next year and the year after? How does that work?
8: Yeah, it, it's really easy. The way the way that we set it up, it was uh, it was even years we were uh, we were SEC, odd years we were Pac-12. I'm sorry, Big Ten. And so, unfortunately, when we canceled the 2020 game. We lost one of our SEC years. So this is our Big 10 year. We, we didn't want to disrupt the rotation that we had in place because it does affect uh, a number of other different people. So we just unfortunately lost our first SEC game. Uh, and so this year will be Big 10. And then next year, we go back to the SEC. The Pac 12 is a, is a constant over the six year cycle. Uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll have SEC next year in 22, and then we'll go back to Big 10 in 23, SEC in 24, Big 10 in 25. And then we, uh, we, we start looking at new conference contracts
4: after that.
1: Do you feel that uh, you would, you kind of like are sad that you don't have, that the Pac 12 is there every year for you where you cannot have that Big Ten versus SEC?
8: Uh, no, I'm not sad. I mean, let, let's be honest, right? We are a long way away from, 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 from the FCC, uh, you know, footprint. We're a long way away from the big 10 footprint. Uh, I think it's, I think it's great to give them some variety and give them an opportunity to play out West, which is important for them to be out West. But listen, the PAC 12 has been a partner of ours for 20 years right. and they've been a great partner of ours for 20 years. And we sit right in the middle of their footprint, right? We have, how many? How many schools do we have within driving distance? We got Utah, and we got ASU, we got Arizona, we got USC, we got UCLA. Uh, you know, uh, a really short trip for Cal and Stanford. Uh, you know, other than other than, you know, Colorado and Washington State and you know, the Oregon schools in Washington, we're I mean we're in the Western footprint. So we, we appreciate being out here. I mean and and and, and appreciate that conference and, and we're we're perfectly fine having them all six years.
4: Yep. All right. And yep.
8: listen, it adds some variety to it, right? Yep. If we get to say we got the Pac twelve SCC. For us, we don't we, you know the Big Ten plays the SEC in a, in a number of bowl games. Right, nobody has a Pac-12 SEC matchup. We love that.
1: Great point. All right, final thing for you, John. What about game day presentations? Uh, how is that going to change? Uh, you know, comparison to past Las Vegas bowls at uh, Sam Boyd Stadium.
8: We're going to do it the same way we always do it, and I'm not throwing stones at any of our friends, but listen, you you go to a Raiders game, the NFL does things a certain way, right? It's pretty pretty buttoned up, pretty corporate. You go to a UNLV, they have their traditions that they have to follow. We follow right in the middle because we don't have... We don't have to do anything for anybody. We're a neutral site game. So our goal is to make sure that everybody's having a good time and everybody's having fun. And we're going to make that a rocking party and we're going to make that a rocking stadium because we don't have to fall in line with some of the things that the Raiders have to do or, or UNLV has to do. So we're going to make that one big giant party. Everybody's going to have a good time there. If we were able to pull it off at Sanboy Stadium with the limited resources that we had and the sound system that we had and the boards that we had, just wait till we get here, uh, and we get to to Allegiant Stadium for this game.
1: There it is. All right, early afternoon. We will find out who will be in the Las Vegas Bowl the first time. It will be at Allegiant Stadium this coming Sunday. The big announcement: it will be the Pac-12 against the Big Ten. We can hardly wait. Uh, tickets already going fast. The game is December thirtieth, seven thirty p.m. at Allegiant Stadium. Uh, it's going to be fantastic. Uh, can hardly wait uh, for that and uh, happy birthday i know i sent you happy birthday yesterday via text but i wanted to say happy birthday hopefully uh, you had a great time uh, last night man uh, did marshawn uh, you know come by and hang out with you i mean you, what happened nah,
8: man give us the blow well, by blow i'm old i'm old and it's bowl season so i was really quiet and in bed early but i do have to ask you do you know what cattywampus is like, I have this thing going with my staff where I'm supposed to fit in a random word to all these interviews that we do, and I was given one today that I don't even know what it means.
1: Kenny Wampus. Any no. idea? And I, I don't, I don't, but, you know, I could right, fake it. Good. I don't feel so bad anymore. I, I got it in, but
8: I don't know what the hell it means.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I think that is the uh, the fourth version of the Caddyshack uh, series of movies. Uh, that's it. Uh, all right, good to know. Yeah, We're
5: yeah. going to go Google that after the show. Yeah,
1: that, <laughs> let's see. I, I believe it means uh, going awry. That's what I think it is. Okay. It means going awry. Going awry.
8: I, I got. We just got smarter together today. There it is.
1: Uh, this interview did not go awry. No question. All right, my man. Look forward this to seeing you. This
8: interview did not go cattywampus. There, right. there
1: you go, my man. <laughs> Take care, all brother. Right, Take care. Appreciate Thanks you. Thanks
8: for having me. Talk to you soon. Thanks for all
1: you do. Thank you. All right, John Cincente. Great friend. Love the Las Vegas Bowl. Talk about the evolution of this game, where it has come, going way, way back, when UNLV would be... Kind of like a staple earlier on, and then you had the Mountain West Conference, and then you know the game grew and grew and grew. And John brought up a great point that people don't realize: to have that, keep your bowl accreditation, you have to draw an average of twenty-five thousand fans for three straight years. And going back to Las Vegas in the early to mid '90s, late '90s, not a a uh, easy thing to do. And with uh, you know some of the teams that would would be in in the, these bowl games, but look where it's gone now. Now you're at Legion Stadium. You got 30, 38,000 seats already sold for this game coming up on December thirtieth, and you don't even know who's playing yet. But it doesn't matter because you're going to get a mid level team from both of these Power Five conferences, the Big Ten and the Pac twelve. I love the Las Vegas Bowl. I love going to it at Sam Boyd Stadium. Can't wait. Uh, to get to it on December 30th at Allegiant Stadium. going to be fantastic. And looking forward to going to the Pac-12 championship game on, on Friday as well, too. But the Las Vegas Bowl, that'll be bigger. That'll be much bigger than the Pac-12 championship game on on Friday. But uh, it's all good. Major big-time sports in Vegas. They keep coming and coming and coming. Speaking of coming, the winners keep coming from our good friend Scott Spritzer. He joins us next... <laughs> Wait a second.
0: Wait a second. Now, more from your favorite sports radio physician, the doctor, T.C. Martin.
5: Browns, 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 Bill, Browns, Bill.
1: All right, week number 13 in the NFL coming up this week, and then we've got conference championship games on the college side. Looking forward to that. We start breaking them down, looking at it. With our good friend Scott Spritzer, Doc Sports. What's up, my man? Hey, TC, how's it going? Just getting ready for the big weekend. Can't wait to see some of these conference championships. How about you, Scott? You're going to be in attendance uh, Friday, and I know how much you love going to these games. You know, we've got uh, the Las Vegas Bowl. We just talked to John Sassenti. We're looking forward to that announcement coming on Sunday. That is now at Allegiant Stadium, December 30th. And then now, coming up Friday, we've got the Pac-12 championship game between Oregon and Utah. And like I said, I know that you love going to UNLV games there, an occasional Raider game, and I know how much you love college football, man. Am I going to get you at the game on Friday? You know,
2: under any other circumstance, I would be there. I will be sitting here at home watching it, keeping a keen eye on that game, seeing if there's any in-game betting situations that arise. But thanks to, you know, a 1,000 basketball games on Saturday (laughs) – my rear end is going to be firmly planted behind my desk at home for about 12 hours on
1: Friday unfortunately. You see this guy? I he's no fun. I just I can't get him out <laughs> anymore. We can't go eat anymore. He's got to work, work, work. He's up all night. I mean, come on, man. But that's that's uh That's who you are, man. That's why you're successful. The The life
2: of a sports better handicapper is, you know, get that work done. Because, man, when you get behind, which I did on that San Diego State UNLV, 830 p.m. Pacific time start a few (laughs) weeks ago, decided to go to that got home about midnight, and I was up till 7 a.m. working on basketball. And I said, all right, even for me, the night owl, that's about three hours later that I want to be up.
1: (laughs) I got you. Hey, let's talk about the game Friday night. Uh, Oregon-Utah, Allegiant Stadium, doesn't have college football playoff rankings anymore. This is a replay of what we saw two weeks ago up in Salt Lake where the Ducks got hammered by Utah. I don't know about you, Scott, but I'm feeling this is not going to be a replay of uh, the game that we saw two weeks ago. I think Oregon's going to show up, and I was glad to see Oregon showed up last week against Oregon State to, to get him motivated not only for this game, but also for another bowl game coming up here in a few weeks.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, if you like Utah in this game, there are plenty of two and a halfs. If you like Oregon, there are several threes. So shop around. But yeah, they played, argue- talk about Utah, they played arguably their best defensive game of the season in that 38 7 win over the Ducks back on November 20th. They didn't gain a lot of yardage, Utah, themselves. They actually gained less than 390 total yards, but their defense really stole the show and took over the game. And you know, two weeks later, I do expect adjustments to be made and for Oregon to be able to gain a measure of revenge. Uh, they were a three-point dog in Salt Lake. And as I mentioned, now on a neutral field in Vegas, they're once again a three-point dog if you shop around. So uh, it's a situation where I think the line is a little bit too high. I, I thought it should have probably come a pick, maybe one, at best for Utah. And, you know, Utah hasn't been anything special away from home. They lost to BYU on the road, San Diego State. They lost to Oregon State on the road. Their only road wins came at Arizona, came at USC, came at Stanford, those aren't exactly teams playing in Oregon's class right now. So even though this isn't a true road game, it is still away from Salt Lake. I think the Ducks come away with the win here, TC.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I like that. You know, the total in this game is 58. And a lot of people say, well, indoor conditions, college football, you know, maybe a slight lean to the over, but if we go back to this game a couple weeks ago, I grant it was outside at night at Salt Lake City, it was thirty eight to seven, you know, way under the total there. But both these teams have pretty rock solid defenses. Uh any opinion on the total here?
2: Yeah, I I just you know, I think it's gonna lean towards the under. I do think you know, we saw both defenses actually even Oregon's as far as total yardage was allowed was concerned you know, play pretty good in that last game. I mean, Oregon didn't do anything offensively. I think they'll be better this time around. But again, with Utah, they couldn't even top 390 yards in a game they won 38-7. to So I do think it'll, it'll finish under the number of 58 or so. But again, I think the better play, and I won't have a play on the total in this game, I think the better play is to take Oregon plus the points. Mm-hmm. And, and again, grab the full three because they are out there.
1: One of my favorite, Saturdays because it's championship weekend, and sure you don't have the plethora of games, you don't have the fifty sixty college games, you know, on the board, and you've got you know basically you know less than than ten, but all of these games are are bettable, uh, you know, for the most part, and you know you can make a case maybe for either side. I want to hit on a couple of them: Baylor and Oklahoma State, nine o'clock in the morning on Saturday for the Big Twelve championship game. This one actually still does have some uh college football playoff implications here cuz what Oklahoma State did to Oklahoma last week uh you know puts uh, the Cowboys in a situation here and there are some people that still think well if Baylor has an impressive victory you know you know maybe they can't get into the top 4 but definitely get themselves in a New Year's Day game uh I don't know about you Scott but you're usually run into these letdowns after you have the big rivalry game, which Oklahoma State did in Bedlam last week. And Baylor really didn't play us best ball, you know, last week. But I think Baylor's going to show up in this game.
2: Yeah, it's tough to go against a team on a nine zero 0 one spread run in Oklahoma State. Yep. But Baylor, you know, Baylor hasn't been a play for me yet, but it's going to be Baylor or nothing. And I'm not crazy about the quarterback situation right now for the Bears. They yes. do have some injuries at quarterback. Mm-hmm which is why I've held off thus far. And I'm looking at the lines right now, and I'd love to be able to get that back up to six uh, before I jump in. It opened six and a half and a couple of shops. It's down to five and a half. I'd like to get that back up to six. Uh, But, you know, you mentioned the Cowboys. They finally got the monkey off the back last week. They beat, you know, Big Brother Oklahoma. And that means not only do they have that emotion to try to put behind them and get back to a decent level of intensity, but they're facing the kind of pressure they've never seen before. You know, win this game and they could land in the college football playoffs, potentially play for a national title. That's a lot for a team that's never been there, never had to do that really before. I made this number three and a half. It's a neutral side game. I'm recommended to play on Baylor. If I do jump on this game, and I'm pretty sure I will before, kickoff on Saturday morning, it'll be Baylor. And again, it's Baylor or nothing. So the fact that I made it three and a half, I want to see how the quarterback situation for Baylor, what they're going to update tomorrow when they talk a little bit about how the injuries have been at quarterback Mohan and a little bit banged up. That's when I would look to make my move. But again, you know, the problem is, is when that news comes out, you're not going to get six. Mm -hmm. It's not going to go back up at that point. If they're able to be at 100% or close to it at the signal caller position. But, again, it is Baylor or nothing, and I'm with you, man. I, I think Oklahoma State coming off that big win and in this type of pressure that they've never had to deal with, it's going to be tough to overcome for them.
1: You know, we talked about the Utah-Oregon game being a rematch. Well, this is a rematch as well, too, because these two teams faced each other about five or six weeks ago, and Oklahoma State won this game 24-14. to But when you – I watched this game, and it was pretty – One sided uh, to a certain degree. I know that uh, Oklahoma State had 24 first downs and held Baylor to only 10, and Baylor was miserable on third down conversions. And actually, Baylor did have uh, you know Gary Bohannon, their starting quarterback at that point in time, and he wasn't good at all. And you know, at this point in time, we started to look at this Oklahoma State defense and wow, this this team really is rock solid. And people want to compare. The Cowboys' defense to Georgia—I don't know if it's that good because we did see Oklahoma have some success against them last week. But you know, another revenge-type game, and even though it was one-sided, kind of like the um, Utah Oregon game was, I'm I'm kind of leaning towards Baylor a little bit myself. But like I said, I'm hesitant for what you just said—the quarterback situation because that was very apparent last week that, that Baylor had some trouble moving the football.
2: And I'll tell you what, T.C., I remember that 24-14 game. It was October 2nd. I was in Los Angeles. I was waiting for a concert to start, and I was on Oklahoma State. And despite the fact that their defense completely shut down Baylor, you mentioned the statistics, they almost did not cover that point spread. It was nip and tuck as far as being able to cover the number. They ended up winning by 10 points. So I would expect if you can get you know, a decent quarterback situation as far as the injuries are concerned uh, that Baylor fares better this time around on offense, they'll make the adjustments. And one thing about teams, and, and when you look at rematches, and obviously revenge is an overhyped term when it comes to sports. We know that. It, just because the teams in revenge doesn't mean they come out and get their revenge. But the bottom line is, is they make the adjustments. They're the team that lost, while the other team is like, okay, we did everything right. We're going to watch some game film what's happened since. We'll make a little adjustment here or there. But what they did worked. So you don't want to make too many adjustments if you're Oklahoma State while Baylor will be looking to change a few things up offensively.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned that game. about It was, a back, it was really not a backdoor cover, but Oklahoma State scored with two minutes left in that game. Uh, they were up three at the time, and that uh, gave them the 10-point margin. And uh, Spencer Sanders actually had one of his worst games. I think it was his worst game of the season. He had three interceptions that game against Baylor because Baylor's got a pretty good defense as well too. So, yeah, look yeah at, it was a front-door cover,
2: yeah. and I was lucky you to cover and i wasn't giving the money back there you go
1: (laughs) georgia alabama a lot of people scott think hey foregone conclusion you know georgia's finally going to get their payback against alabama because alabama has had their number they've been closely contested games but uh, you know, we saw what Alabama did last week. Thought they were thoroughly outplayed for the majority of the game, and all of a sudden, here comes Alabama in the Iron Bowl against Auburn. And for some reason, you know, this championship pedigree that the Tide have, even though they don't have a lot of star power like they've had in years past, they came back and they got the job done. Uh, how confident are you that uh, that Bama, even though they've been a little bit shaky uh, during the course of this season? Can come up here and cover this number against Georgia.
2: Yeah, if you're a numbers guy and you ignore the eye test, then, you know, how can you lay the points with Georgia if you are a numbers guy and ignore the eye test? You know, there's six and a half. Uh, I saw one shop here in town last night. It was late last night. I was doing a show, and a particular book, a prominent book here in town, bumped that up to seven. It's back down to six and a half there, and there are some six offshore that I see starting to pop up. But this number, when it opened, I don't know what it was, two or three weeks ago, one of the books here in town started taking live action. They made Georgia three. It went to three and a half. Then after what happened last week, it's all the way up to six and a half in just about every book as we speak. So, again, if you're a numbers guy, then you're sitting here going, okay, i got to look at taking Bama or pass this football game. You know, it's been crazy. I mean, it was 3,648 days between Michigan wins over Ohio State, it's (laughs) 2,250-plus days since Alabama was an underdog to anybody. You know, back in 2015 when they beat Georgia by 28, getting a point and a half, it's the most points Bama has received in 13 years of football, which just blows your mind. Uh, First time in 42 years, if you like Georgia, that a team held all of their opponents to 17 points or less. First time since 1979 when Texas did that and that defense is going to face a Bama O-line that gave up seven sacks last week to Auburn. I look at it this way. When I decided to play Alabama Devils advocate TC, I thought, okay, they beat Georgia, beat Clemson 10-3. to Clemson had a horrible offense first portion of the season. They beat them 10-3. to They beat Georgia Tech, who's 3-9. and nine. They beat Charleston Southern. They beat Tennessee, who's okay, but 7-5. and five. They beat Missouri, who's only 6-6 six and six and not as good as the record. They beat Florida, who just fired their head coach, they beat Auburn, who's six and six, as did Bama, and then you got Vandy, South Carolina, and UAB. Three more teams that they beat. Two best teams Georgia played for the most part were Kentucky and Arkansas. And according to my power ratings, they played four teams who rated 18th through 30th in my power ratings. Their average rating of their other eight opponents in the 75 to 80th ranked range. Plus Charleston Southern, Alabama played Mercer. They played New Mexico State. They played Southern Miss but their other nine opponents' average power rating around 25th in the country. So if you want to do this and base a lot of this off of strength of schedule, it's Alabama. It's Alabama if you like the numbers. If you like the quarterback, it's Bama. If you like the coach, I don't care who Nick Saban's going against. As much as I like Kirby Smart, Saban is the better head football coach. Having said that, when you watch Georgia against Arkansas, they beat the crap out of them. When you watch Bama against Arkansas, they struggle. The offense was bad against A&M. The offense was bad last week until the final 90 seconds or so. That's hard to look past. You know what I did do? We got the Georgia Bulldogs' best defense in college football. I'm with you. Bama's defense held seven of its opponents to their season lows in yardage gain. I like under 49.5. And, and I say that knowing that sometimes you get these high skilled games and it fails over the total. But based on these two defenses, based on Alabama's offensive showing, their offensive line struggling to pass block again last week, I think it stays under forty nine and a half. That's a long-winded story to get to the under, but there it is.
1: Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. Scott Spritzer, Doc Sports. Check out uh, Scott's place at docsports. dot com, and uh, you can get him that way. Um, the Houston Cincinnati game is intriguing for several reasons. One is people. Still, are you know maybe not believing in Cincinnati, and I and I'm one of those guys. I'm still not sure about Cincinnati because I still have this you know vision of them struggling against you know the Tulsas, the Tulane's, and the Navy's of, of the world, and they played a little bit better, but still, you talk about. You know, uh, you know, East Carolina and maybe SMU are the, the better teams that uh, they played. Of course, I understand they have the Notre Dame victory. We get that. But Houston is a team that no one is really talking about. Houston lost their opener, Scott, and all they did is win 10 in a row and not just win 10 in a row and the same type of schedule that Cincinnati's faced, but they blasted their opponents. Do you think Houston could be a live dog year getting 10 and a half?
2: You know, I made this twelve. And here's one of the problems I have with backing Houston in this game. They've not played a single team in most people's top 50, top 55 power ratings at all this entire year. And you mentioned, you know, since he has had weird games where they've kind of gone through the motions and struggled and you think of Navy and things like that. At the same time, they go into South Bend and they beat the heck out of Notre Dame. I mean, they made Notre Dame look weak. And so, you know, because my power ratings at 12 But at the same time, I'm not sure, again, since he's like Oklahoma State and that they've never been here before. And that pressure can mount if things aren't going your way in the first quarter and a half or so. So because of that, I decided to pass this game. I'll make this one a quick one. If you made me play it, I would lay the points with Cincy.
1: All right. Uh Iowa Michigan it's not the Big 10 championship game I think a lot of people wanted to see as Iowa kind of back the back their way in there and this Iowa team is you know were, were very very disappointing uh, up until probably about 2 or 3 weeks ago but uh Michigan I mean like you said this is Jim uh, Harbaugh's first victory against Ohio State uh you're still you know kind of you know you know trying to come down from the big emotional win and now you got to get ready to play a tough Iowa defense but from an offensive standpoint Iowa's downright ugly uh, is this a A game where Michigan could maybe, you know, not show up or overlook or at least in the beginning of the game. They're favored by eleven here, and I think a lot of people now they see Michigan, they go from five to two, and basically, I mean, it's gonna be hard to get themselves out of the college football playoff unless they get upset. Yeah, you
2: know what? I I made this I power rated this eleven before last week's games. I went back and looked at my old power ratings after Michigan beat Ohio State, and you know, Wisconsin later in, and Iowa gets into the title game, so that i got to see what I had it before last week's games. I made it 11, so I get why it is where it is. I did bet on this game. I did take the points with the Hawkeyes. You know, they haven't won an outright title in 36 years. I think they shared the Big Ten title about 17 years ago, so it is a bit of a different deal for them. But, again, you've got a situation where Michigan – you know, they went over 3,600 days without beating Ohio State. Ohio State, and I don't want to take away too much credit from the Wolverines. They were ready to go. But Ohio State committed several self inflicted wounds last week. And that's something Iowa doesn't do. They're as well coached as it gets. They don't have the talent that Michigan has. Hell, they don't even have the talent that Nebraska has. Uh, they're just not a real talented football team on the opposite side of the football but they play incredibly sound, fundamental defensive football. They make great in-game adjustments thanks to their coaching staff, and they take full advantage of other teams' miscues. they got a plus 13 turnover margin. And Michigan, when you're talking about winning by double digits, I want a high-powered offense. This is a pro-style attack by Michigan. That can lend itself to games that end up being closer than they need to be. And then the underdog's been the way to go in the Big Ten title games. Underdog has covered eight of the last ten championship games in this conference. It's a tough emotional spot for Michigan. I took the, po- uh, the points with the Hawkeyes. All
1: right. Can see that. All right. Uh, real quick, Scott, uh, hit us uh, with maybe one or two games. Uh, uh, well, first of all, uh, I want to talk about tonight's game. So uh, this handicap tonight's game, because that's upon us here in another hour or so, uh, the Cowboys... And the Saints, Sean Payton hasn't lost four games in a row, but this is not the same Saints team. Uh, Questions at quarterback now. Taysom Hill's going to get the start. Don't know how long he's going to be in tonight. And then the Cowboys coming off that dreadful, embarrassing performance against the Raiders on Thanksgiving Day where they committed 14 penalties for 166 yards. Is it a bounce-back spot for the Cowboys? I
2: believe it is. I didn't bet on this game, and now it's up to six, You know, as high as six. But, you know, you mentioned I throw a lot of those numbers when it comes to a coach uh, like Sean Payton that you just mentioned. I throw them out the, out the door because they're on their third-string quarterback yeah. in Taysom Hill. He's unproven as a guy who can come in and play start to finish for the most part. You know, he's unproven on a consistent manner. I did see something, by the way. I almost forgot to mention this. I saw this about an hour ago. You can find over-under rushing yardage, uh, as far as a prop bet on Hill, of 39-and-a-half i like him to go over 39.5 because I don't think he's going to be able to pass the football, and I think he probably ends up in the mid-40s, maybe high 40s as far as running the football. They do have Kamara back, but, again, the Saints are same Saints team. Dallas has problems with passing offenses. You're not going to see a passing offense in all likelihood – When it comes to Taysom Hill, and Dallas gets back Lamb, they get back Cooper, Zeke Elliott, of course, and he's not even the top back anymore on this football team. Dak will be able to have his receivers back in the lineup, so I think they end up winning this game by you know a good seven to ten points, Uh, but just not enough of a field to be able to jump in and lay that kind of number with Dallas on the road. That it's a pass, but a lean towards Dallas.
1: Gotcha. All right, my friend. Great stuff as always. Look forward to talking with you next week. Check him out, Scott Spritzer at uh, DocSports.com uh, and, of course, a great follow on Twitter at Scott Wins. All right, my man, have a great weekend, huh? And uh try TC. Get some sleep. Quick, yes.
2: Real quick, I caught your uh, show on Frank yesterday, and I just wanted to say that uh, there's not a more genuine guy that I've met in all my years in this town than Frank and uh, in the ballpark Frank, and I just wanted to put my two cents in and just say, you know, he'll definitely be being missed by me on your show, other shows, and uh, just a, a, a great guy and so unfortunate the tragedy that, that he had to go through.
1: And I appreciate that, Scott. He was very fond of you as well, too. And again, you know, sharing all those, those times that we had, not just, uh, you know, on, on the radio, but, uh, you know, at events and, and other things that we were doing. Again, uh, you and I, uh, you know, Frank, been around here a long, long time in this, in this city, and we've known each other very, very well. And uh, appreciate those thoughts. And I know he. You Classy know, he,
2: individual, TC. Yeah. He was a class act.
1: Absolutely. All right, my man. Thanks, Scott. I appreciate you. Take care, TC. Yeah, there he is, Scott Spritzer. All right. Uh, speaking of our good friend, Ballpark Frank, I want to thank those that uh, joined us during the first hour today, gave their thoughts and memories. A uh, longtime uh, Las Vegas handicapper, Andy Isco, Jim Gemma with the Las Vegas uh, Aviators, uh, Alan Snell at uh, LV Sports Biz, and our good friend Brian Salmon over at News 3, and Heidi Fang with her very emotional uh, message that she had for Frank as well too. Uh, Heidi, not just uh, part of the media community here, but her and Frank were very close friends. Uh, Families were very, very close. So I appreciate uh, her for giving us her audio message earlier today. want to thank T.J. Reeves for joining us. John Cicente, the executive director of the Las Vegas Bowl. And, of course, Scott Sprites are great stuff. Great show today. Appreciate it. And, again, uh, please go visit the website at tcmartinshow.com and listen to yesterday's 3 o'clock hour. Uh, It is on the homepage right there, the tribute to Frank. You can hear the old audio clips. We had a lot of fun with that. And, again, great uh, memories and tributes from Uh, a cast of our colleagues, friends, and guests. And that is up on the website there. And you can read our thoughts up on the homepage as well, too, at tcmartinshow.com. Have yourself a good one. We will talk to you tomorrow at 2 o'clock, live from the Cosmopolitan.